This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, the first chapter, verses 27 through 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and I see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. Ten years ago, when we planted Hope Chapel, we set out to be a gospel community that seeks spiritual, social, and cultural renewal in our city and beyond. And there's three primary ways in which we're trying to carry out our vision. And if you go to our middle lobby after the service, you'll see them. One is this corporate worship that we're experiencing now. Another is community groups. And then thirdly is serving Greensboro. Yet, because our lives are so full, it's easy for us to forget the vision that God has called us to. So at the beginning of every year, for the last 10 years, we walk through our vision. And this year, we're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians to help us remember and flesh out what God has called us to. Now, over the past several weeks, we have looked at the first 26 verses of chapter 1. And we've been reminded of several things. First, in order to carry out our vision of renewal, we need everyone to participate. Second, in order to carry out our vision, we need to remember that God is the ultimate source of kingdom growth. Third, we cannot judge success or failure for our vision based on results but rather based on our faithfulness to preach the gospel. Fourth, God chooses to bring about renewal through messy, broken people. And fifth, the ultimate purpose of renewal and kingdom growth is not so people will praise us, but so people will praise and glorify God. Now, this morning, we're finishing chapter 1, looking at verses 27 through 30. And from these verses, I want us to consider two things this morning. First, in order to bring about renewal in our city, we need to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And then secondly, as we seek renewal in our city, we will experience suffering. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful this morning for your word. We're grateful... Holy Spirit, that you have called us to this place. And Lord, some here this morning are hurting, as Daniel mentioned earlier. Others' hearts are full. Some here might not even have a relationship with you, yet they're curious. Some here have had a relationship with you for a long time, and yet their hearts have grown hard toward you. 
Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit, in power amongst us? Would you convict our hearts of sin? Would you call us to repentance? And would you help us as a church so that we might seek the renewal of this city? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Philippians 1, or you can look in your bulletins. And the first thing as we look at these three verses that I want us to consider is, in order to bring about renewal in our city, we need to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, it's easy to think that the best way to win someone to Christ is to become like them. And while it's important for us to consider other people's interests, which Paul talks about in Philippians 2, and which Jim is going to talk about in more detail next week, what we see in our passage this morning is that it is our uniqueness as citizens of the kingdom of God that serve as a sign to a watching world that Christ is alive and that he has come to rescue them. Look at verses 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now, interestingly, the Greek verb that Paul uses in the first phrase, let your manner of life, is the word polit you omai. Polit you omai. Which comes from the noun for citizenship. So Paul here, knowing that the Philippians, as Roman citizens, were very familiar with the privileges and obligations that come as citizens of Rome, he says to them here, I want you to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. I want you to live as a new community who share the Holy Spirit and who have the same mind, which is a reference to their union with Christ. Because as you live as citizens of the kingdom of God and no longer as Roman citizens, it won't matter whether or not Paul comes and visits. In fact, There will be no need for Paul to come and visit. Because he says to them, you yourselves will be assigned to everyone in Philippi that God is on his throne. And that he is bringing salvation to those who profess faith in him. And destruction to those who willfully oppose and reject him. Likewise, in order for us. To bring renewal in our city, we need to live with all the unique privileges and obligations of being citizens of the kingdom of God. We need to walk in the power of the Spirit. We need to stand as one. We need to honor and respect and celebrate everyone because they are designed for dignity. And like Luke says in Acts 2, 42 through 47, 
We need to be the new community of God. We are the church. And as we stand as the church, we will be assigned to a watching world that Christ is alive. We need to devote ourselves to studying and obeying God's word. We need to fellowship with one another. We need to model radical generosity, selling our possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. And we need to live with glad hearts, praising God. We need to live our lives, like Paul says again and again in Philippians, rejoicing. Because as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, Luke says in Acts 2, 47b, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, renewal and restoration will take place. The kingdom will grow if we live out our citizenship, which is in heaven. If we collectively are the church. I can remember uh, when I was in, I guess, eighth grade going to Trinity Church. And I wasn't a believer at that time. And the Knoxes invited me. I went. And the Freemans were there. And there was nothing flashy about Trinity Church back in the 80s. And I remember going to their youth group. And there was nothing at all flashy about their youth group. We sat around in, in very uncomfortable chairs. We did Bible study. We sang together. And then if you had, any of you have been at Trinity Church, when you went in, Roy would preach for 45 minutes. Now, as, a, as an eighth grader, that was a little tough on me, but he preached the word of God unapologetically. And when we went on trips, I wasn't allowed to wear my Walkman, for those of you that know what that is. Um, but instead, we would sing praises as we traveled along. And as I thought about that, it was the uniqueness of Trinity, the fact that Trinity Church didn't try to act not like a church, but like the world, that was so appealing to me. It was their uniqueness, not their similarities to me, that drew me to me, drew Christ to me. It was through them living out their citizenship as children of the kingdom of God, that caused me to continue to go and allow the Holy Spirit to capture my heart. Likewise for us, if we're going to bring about renewal and restoration in our city, we need to, to act and live with the privileges and the obligations that come as being Citizens of the kingdom of God. We need to unapologetically be the church. And so the question for us this morning is, are we living as citizens of the kingdom of God? Are our lives set apart from the world around us? Or when your coworkers, neighbors and classmates interact with you, do they just think that you're exactly like them? When people come and visit this place, 
Do they not only see that we look like a church outwardly, which I'm grateful for, but inwardly we love one another unconditionally. And we offer hospitality to others. And we're not flashy. And we're not trying to do a laser light show up here. And we're preaching from the Word. And our youth room is not full of tons of TVs and tons of video games. It's it's a nice room with couches. But it's a place for our youth to come and worship God. Are we, as a church, embodying the Spirit of God? And are we, as a church, being the church? Because Paul says to us, if we want to bring about renewal in our city, if we want to bring about revival, then we need to be unapologetically the church. We need to be and live as citizens of the kingdom of God. So that's the first thing that Paul teaches us in this passage. And secondly, and more soberingly, Paul teaches us as we seek renewal in our city, we will experience suffering. You know, while the good news is that as we live out our faith, God's kingdom will grow. The difficult news is that with kingdom growth comes a cost. Paul alludes to this cost in verse 28 as he speaks about the opposition to the kingdom growth. And then as you look at verses 29 and 30, he comes right out and tells us that this side of heaven, as we seek to grow God's kingdom, we are going to suffer. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul here says, just as we have been granted faith for the sake of Christ, we have also been granted suffering for his sake. Now, let me pause here for a moment, because the concept of suffering this side of heaven is a complex one. We here at Hope Chapel believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. We believe that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. We believe that his kingdom has come. And we believe that Jesus has defeated death and the dominion of sin. And we also believe that Jesus defeated Satan through the power of the cross. But we also see in Scripture that though the kingdom of God has come, we live in this in-between period as we await Christ's consummation. We live in what the theologians call the now and not yet. The kingdom of God is now, and as Paul says in Romans, we still await its full consummation when Christ comes again to make all things new. So in this in-between time, Satan is still allowed to roam the earth. The world we live in is fallen, and the influence of sin still exists. Therefore, the earth groans as in pains of childbirth. Men, women, and children still suffer, suffer as the result of our fallen world. And many of us, 
in this room can speak to this well. Because many of us have faced cancer diagnoses. Many of us have faced tornadoes and hurricanes that have ripped through our city. Many of us have faced the loss of jobs and the loss of loved ones. There is not a person in this room that has not been touched by suffering as a result of the fall. This suffering falls on both the Jews and the Gentiles, the slave and the free. It falls on every human being this side of heaven. None of us can escape it. And while this is sobering in and of itself, Paul tells us in our passage this morning that there will be additional suffering for the children of God. Because you see, the world, Satan, and sin, they will oppose the truth. And they will try to thwart the kingdom growth. And Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us, as we seek renewal, we will suffer for his sake. Now, I I get why he's telling us as Americans this, because in America, we as a church don't experience suffering like those that are in Venezuela who profess faith for Christ right now, or those who are in China who are standing up for, for Christ. I get why he's saying that to us, but I, I was wrestling with why is he saying this to the Philippians? They were being persecuted by the Roman authorities. Certainly they knew that they were going to suffer for the sake of Christ. And as I prayed about it and I thought about it, I think there's, there's several reasons why Paul was reminding the Philippians and reminding us that we are going to suffer for his sake. And the first is, I believe Paul is reminding them of this because he wanted them to remember that their suffering wasn't the result of disobedience or sin. Their suffering was the result of being obedient to God's call on their lives. You see, there was a common thought in the ancient Near East that suffering was the result of doing something wrong or sinful. We see this in John chapter 9. Jesus saw a man who was born blind and his disciples, what did they do? They asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They assumed that his suffering must be a result of sin or something he had done wrong or something that his parents had done wrong. Hindus refer to this as karma that follows a person based on the good and bad things that they have done in their lives. So it's easy to see how this way of thinking might seep into the church in Philippi and seep into our church today. The Philippians were suffering greatly, and it would have been easy for them to begin to think that their suffering was a result of their sin or their parents' sin. But Paul takes this opportunity to encourage them as he reminds them that their suffering is not because they are doing anything right. Their suffering is because they're doing. Their suffering isn't because they're doing anything wrong. Their suffering is because they're doing everything right. They are suffering. Because they are being obedient to God's call to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. 
And many years ago, when I was at Christ Community, we brought in John LaRue, and he was a pastor, and he was preaching on the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, Nehemiah, they're building the wall, and all of Israel's kind of gathered the different tribes, and they're building different sections of the wall. And through the course of the book, what happens is as they're building, opposition arises. And yet Nehemiah continues to press on, the Israelites continue to press on, and they build the wall. And I'll never forget John LaRue saying to us as a church, if we are hearing clamoring in the crowds, and the stands around us are rocking, and people are throwing rocks at you as a church, then count it great joy. Because you must be doing something right. You must be living as citizens of the kingdom of God. Because when we do, we will suffer for his sake. And vice versa, and what I've wrestled with this week is I've thought about our 10 years and I've talked to different ones of you. We as a church haven't suffered very much for the sake of Christ. Yes, we as individuals have suffered as we profess faith to classmates and they've rejected us, as we've written papers and we've gotten F's on them because we stood for Christ. But as a church, collectively, other than kids throwing basketballs at our windows and that breaking, we haven't had many stones thrown at us as a church. Which, in turn, has caused me to beg the question, are we collectively, as a church, living as citizens in the kingdom of God? Are we radically seeking renewal? Are we radically standing up for the truth of the gospel? Are we radically entering in and fighting against the injustices that exist in our city? And are we caring in radical ways Generosity, pouring out our monies so that we might help eradicate poverty in our city. Now Paul says, don't go and seek suffering. And that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying, and what I think we need to wrestle with, is are we being obedient to God's call to be the church that God established us to be ten years ago? A church that's seeking spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. Because when we as a church begin to do that collectively, Paul says we will suffer collectively for his sake. And so one reason why Paul talked about suffering and the fact that they would be suffering for his sake was to encourage them, to remind them, that it wasn't that they were being disobedient, it was that they were being obedient as citizens of the kingdom of God. But the second reason I believe that Paul reminds us and them that we will suffer for his sake is because, because for Paul, suffering was an opportunity to know his Savior in more deeply. You see, you look at the language that Paul uses He says, just as it has been granted to you to believe, it has also been granted to you that you might suffer for his sake. 
The word granted here gives us a glimpse into Paul's theology of suffering. You see, Paul understood that Jesus Christ suffered greatly while he was on this earth. And it was through his wounds that we are healed and experience resurrection life. So instead of seeing suffering as a bad thing, Paul saw suffering as an opportunity to grow in his intimacy with Christ and to become more like him. This is why in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then later in Philippians 3.10, Paul writes, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Paul in no way is saying that we should be masochistic and pursue suffering. Paul is saying we are to pursue Jesus Christ who suffered and died and was raised from the dead. And just as Christ entered into suffering, count it a blessing when we too are granted to enter into suffering for his sake. And so if you are here this morning and you are suffering. It's probably not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you are living as a citizen of God. And if you are here this morning and you're suffering. Count it all joy because through suffering. You are entering into a, a mysterious intimacy. With Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity to know him more. To be like him. And please hear me. Paul is not saying that God doesn't love us and care for us when we suffer. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah 43. For when we walk through the waters and the fires come over us, do not fear. When you suffer, church, do not fear. For God says, I am with you. I am your God. And he promises to be with us. And knowing that frees us up to boldly be obedient to his word and to his call. My hope as we enter into 2019 is that we don't live as citizens of Greensboro anymore or citizens of North Carolina, or citizens of the United States. But that we live as citizens of the kingdom of God in a manner worthy of the gospel. Because as we do that, we will be assigned to Greensboro that Jesus Christ is alive, that his kingdom is at hand. And yes, we will also be assigned to Greensboro to those who willfully don't want to see his kingdom grow, will be a sign of destruction. 
And because of that, there will be opposition and we will suffer for his sake. But we can count in all joy, knowing that if we're suffering, we're not doing something wrong, we're doing something right. And if we're suffering, then we get to join him and be like him and experience his love and his grace and his mercy and his presence in such a powerful, transforming way. That as we go out, we go knowing that we are God's children, his beloved children. And so in 2019, may we individually and corporately stand up for God and seek renewal. And when suffering comes, which I hope it does, because that means we're doing and preaching the gospel for his sake. We lock arms. We go back to these verses and we rejoice as Paul rejoiced throughout Philippians as he sat knowing that he was going to be executed for the sake of Christ. May we be the church. And may these walls that aren't a warehouse, but are a church, be a constant reminder to us outwardly of what needs to be going on internally. A transformation. Us living and walking and breathing as children of God. Amen.